Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Don. Hi, I'm Don, compulsive overeater. I always bring pictures to prove it. Uh, I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't a compulsive overeater. Uh, I have seen pictures of myself when I was about four years old. You could see my ribs in them. I have not seen them since. (laughs) I genuinely don't remember it. I remember instead having a different relationship with food than all my friends. I remember being embarrassed about how much food I wanted and ate. I remember uh, eating, finishing my meal very quickly and already eyeing the meals of the people around me. Uh, I remember just the teasing and the humiliation. And I was much, much heavier as a kid than I ever was as an adult, uh, to the point where people on the street would turn around and look at me because I was gigantic. Uh, and that means up here in my head, I'm still gigantic. Up here in my head, the image that I have going back to those very early days is of someone who is grossly obese. And it almost doesn't matter, as I'll get to in my story, what I look like on the outside, because that's how I felt. That's how I can feel today if I'm not in a good spiritual condition. Um, I remember very early my mother taking me to a thyroid test with some weird thing on my face to see if maybe there was a metabolism issue. There wasn't. Uh, I remember going on, uh, having a coach at school say to me, uh, kid, you got to do pushaways. I said, what are those? He said, push away from the table. Um, and I, I just didn't know what to do. And it was, it was this helpless, horrible feeling of being very, very different from my friends and not knowing what to do about it and feeling gluttonous. I, I can remember as a kid having this fantasy sort of dream of this gigantic a banquet of food, and every bite you took, you lost a pound. I mean, that's to me, was sort of the ultimate of, uh, of, of the fantasy and where I wanted to go, which was, of course, eat everything I wanted and look like a normal person. Um, I, I can tell you, to, to not give away the secret of the end, but I can tell you in two words uh, how to lose weight. Uh, And it really, it's a pretty profound insight, but I can do it to anybody here who wants to know the secret. Eat less. Now, unfortunately, knowing that did me no good whatsoever. It was not that I didn't know what to do. It was that I was incapable of doing it. And the fact that I could understand it just didn't work. And I would try diets, and I would all of the diets worked just fine as long as I stayed on them. But as soon as I would off them, I would gain back all the way they lost and more. Uh, sort of like you borrow money and you pay back the interest, you're paying back more than you borrowed, I would get more weight back and sit there going, I don't understand. Every time I dieted, I felt like I was in prison. Every time I dieted, I felt the spring winding up inside me, getting tighter and tighter. And I was trying to graft this unnatural... Um, action onto my personality and onto my uh, soul that didn't fit because it was so at odds with who I was and it was so different from the essence of what I felt I needed to, to, to enjoy life, to, to just live on a normal basis, to keep myself soothed. Um, 
My, uh, in, the, uh, in the early 50s, when I was growing up in Texas, my mom had a local television show, so we literally had one of the very first televisions on our block because she was on television. And I like to say, therefore, I am one of the real pioneers of eating in front of the television. <laughs> and, and by the way, pioneers endure hardships. There were three channels <laughs> and no remote. <laughs> So um, I never was able to lose weight for any sustained period of time and uh, until I got to high school and a rather friendly doctor, I'm sure well-meaning, gave what uh, ultimately you would today call speed in those days. I think it was called Dexamil attenuate Dosepan. There were two different ones. Uh, and they absolutely killed my appetite. It was great. I ate one meal a day, a salad. I was losing weight quickly. And yet I discovered something interesting, which, by the way, I did not even appreciate or understand at the time. I only did it many years later, actually, in program, which was that uh, even though I had no appetite, I was thinking about food all the time. Well, I'm going to have a to dinner. I'll do this and I'll enjoy that and I'll have this and have that. But I didn't have any appetite. and I was feeling very virtuous and very good. I was spinning around the room because of the speed, of course. Um, but I did have no appetite. And it worked great, of course, until I went off the pills. And once again, I'm sitting there uh, like one of these cartoon birds, guys that gets hit in the head with the birds tweeting around. I'm going, what the hell happened? And why did I lose it again? Um, because the ultimate reality was that I was trying to force something that was so unnatural onto myself that I couldn't do it. Um, there were periods of time in my life when I actually thought I had it made. And uh, I, I kept thinking, there's got to be some gimmick. There's got to be some trick that I haven't figured out. And in other areas of my life, if I wanted something, I'd sit down and go, okay, I'm here, goal's there, what are the steps to get here to there, how do I do it? And for the most part, I was pretty good at accomplishing it. And when it came to the food, I couldn't do it. And I kept thinking, this doesn't make sense. I, I can figure this out for every other area of my life, but I can't figure it out for the food. Why? What is it? I, it must be something I don't yet know. Uh, and, and it's for periods of time, uh, the longest I think was four years, uh, when I was in my 30s, uh, I was able to eat healthy, exercise, do all the things you're supposed to do, and maintain a body weight, feel really good, feel really good about myself. And I thought, okay, I got it this time. I got it. Now I've got it figured out. And I can trace the end of it to a meeting with a friend of mine at a party who I was eating a dessert because I was determined I was going to eat everything in moderation, just, you know, keep it healthy and not crave and not this and not that. And he looks at me and says, you know, you're so skinny, you should have two desserts. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. <laughs> and literally from that moment, I can trace the whole thing unraveling, falling apart. And once again, I'm sitting there with the birds tweeting around my head going, what the hell happened? And I had heard about Overeaters Anonymous about 10 years before I ever came in the rooms. And why didn't I come in the rooms? Because my ego wouldn't fit through the door. Because I kept saying to myself, I got to be able to do this. Look what you get accomplished over here and over here. And uh, I, I, I have a long-term marriage that I did uh, pre-program. I was uh, I've been able to get success in my job. I did okay in school. I was able to accomplish what I set out to do. Um, and yet, when it came to the food, I couldn't do it. And, and so I kept saying to myself, you just don't have it yet. I used to think about uh, Star Trek you know, when they'd say the space, the final frontier. I kept thinking food, the final frontier. <laughs> and I was I, and I just didn't know how to get there. So I can I remember lying in bed, feeling completely hopeless, feeling this gigantic stomach in front of me. 
and going, I give up. I can't do it. I had been to nutritionists. I tried pretty much everything. And I found that once I went to the nutritionist, that for a period of three or four days after that, I was eating pretty good. And I thought, you know what? If nothing else, I'll go to this place and it'll be like a diet club. And it'll be that I'll get a few days out of it. And if I go a couple of times a week, I'll get a week. And maybe I could, maybe there's something there, maybe not. Uh, I was skeptical. I had a friend who's a psychiatrist, very well-meaning guy, said, you know, it's just genetic. He said when the caveman days, the guys who were heavy uh, were programmed to make it through the tough winters when the skinny, you know, the scrappy guys would die off. And I, and I thought, great. <laughs> I, could, I could have made it through a caveman winter. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm living in Los Angeles. <laughs> But uh, and so it was it was just like, you know, he was trying to be comforting, saying, you know, don't worry about it. It's just summer program this way, summer program that. And I literally, you know, secretly somewhere in my uh, deepest recesses thought it's never going to change. I'm never going to be able to do it any different. And I really deeply, seriously believed it um, or at least was afraid that that was the truth. But I had hoped that there was something else. So I went to an OA meeting, I, and this was before the Internet. Um, I started in 1998. This was before the Internet, and I went, uh, I called up and listened to about a 15-minute recording of where all the meetings were in LA. And there was one not too far from me on a Saturday, and I went there in the afternoon on Robertson. It was raining. It was dark. I thought some of the people there were brain damaged. Uh, <laughs> And I was so out of there. Um, and as I'm getting ready to leave, this tiny little lady named Doris, that those of you who have been around for a bit may remember, she was in her 90s at the time, gets between me and the door, sticks her finger in my face, and says, don't leave before the miracle happens. And I thought, what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and I had no idea what she meant, but it was intriguing. And it was enough to get me to come to a meeting the next day, which was the one at Roxbury Park, Serenity Sunday. Completely different. Sunshine out. People laughing. Uh, people uh, talking in a way that suddenly I was starting to hear things that start, sounded resonant. And, uh, and so I thought, okay, I'm intrigued. I'll try it again. I'll give it another meeting or so and see if there's anything to it. And then I see people who had lost 300 pounds and had it off for 25 years. I didn't think that was possible. I thought, well, you know, there's, a, there's an expression that what one man has done, another may do. Sorry for the gender, but that's an old expression. Um, what one person has done, another may do. Uh, talking about any kind of human accomplishment. And I thought, okay, if somebody else can do it, there's something. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. It doesn't seem to make any sense to me, but I see it. It's a little bit like when you're a kid and you want to learn to ride a bicycle. Uh, if you try to get on it, and it falls over, right? But you see the kids in the neighborhood whizzing back and forth on their bikes, and you go, okay, it can be done, so I just don't know how to do it yet. So I thought, I've got to try this with program, because I felt like I'd tried pretty much everything else, and uh, I thought I would give it a go. And very scientifically picked a sponsor. He was the only one who came up to me. <laughs> he said, here's my number. If you'd like to call me, you can. I did. We were still together 18-plus uh, years later. Um, he's, uh, and, and I still didn't know what I was doing, and I still didn't know what it was about. I remember saying to him about um, a couple of months in the program, I said, you know, the meetings are really getting better. <laughs> and you've already figured out that he said, no, the meetings aren't changing. You're just getting more open to the program. Uh, and he was right. It was starting to feel different. And I went up to get a 90-day chip. 
And I vividly, vividly remember this. I remember walking up there and suddenly realizing something that I'd never felt before in my whole life. And it was harder to recognize because it was something that wasn't there. It's easy to notice something that's intrusive or out of place. It's not so easy to notice something that's missing. And what was missing was the spring. What was missing was winding up inside me. What was missing was that feeling I described earlier of white knuckle dieting, trying to just manhandle this behavior onto my personality and feeling the tension grow and grow until I could get out of prison and start eating to make up for lost time. And it wasn't there. And I'd never in my life lost weight without that feeling building up inside me, waiting to explode, waiting to come back and waiting to just take over and flood me with the desires. And I thought, wow, this is really different. And there's a line in the big book that uh, Bill talks about having the problem removed root and branch. And that to me was the distinction. Every other diet, every other behavioral thing I'd done was dealing with the symptoms. It was dealing with the branches. It wasn't dealing with the root problem, which was deep inside me. And I'll get into what that was in a minute. But uh, it, it was a profoundly different, very, very moving experience in terms of just my own attitude and my own feelings about the fact that there was something profoundly different here. Uh, and, uh, and what it was was that I was beginning to let go of the problem. Now, this makes no logical sense. You're probably figuring out my brain works very logically. And I want to know, how do you get from A to B to C? Frankly, when I came in, I wanted to know how fast can I learn it and how quick can I get out of here? Um, and because that's my usual MO. Uh, also, you know, I, my usual MO is very self-centered. You know, what can I get for myself and what's the least I can give for it? Um, and I, what I discovered when I got here was that this is, uh, as um, I'm not an AA, but my sponsor is, so he took me to an AA meeting. This old timer says, kid, this is a million dollar program. You'll get it a nickel at a time. <laughs> and what he meant by that was that it's a uh, experiential uh, program. It's something that doesn't lend itself to logic. In fact, it's not logical. It, it, to me, it's not logical to say I have to admit that I have absolutely no power or control over food. And in exchange for that, I get some sort of power or control over food. doesn't make sense to me. On the other hand, it works when nothing else did. And so I had to let go of pretty much everything I had figured out before, which didn't get me anywhere except a lot heavier, uh, and understand there was a new way of approaching it. Um, and so that uh, I, I went into, I was very lucky. I got abstinent immediately um, because like, but like, honestly, it was a diet club in the beginning. Honestly, I saw Serenity Sunday giving chips and I'm trophy oriented as you've probably figured out. <laughs> <laughs> I want the trophy and I want to be the, the poster boy for, uh, for OA. Uh, about a year in the program, suddenly my jeans were getting tighter. Suddenly the food was getting sloppy. My immediate reaction was, hide it, don't tell anybody, you're the poster boy, you got to put on a good face, which was ridiculous because I was getting heavier, um, and, uh, and then I realized that was exactly the opposite of what I needed to do. What I needed to do was be really honest. What I needed to do was tell people what was going on, tell people that I was struggling. And it's a bit like uh, if you go into one of these haunted houses, you have little things jumping out at you and screeching and doing all these things. But if you were to look at them with a bright light on them, you're not that scary. Uh, and that's the way the gremlins in my head are. They're, they're hiding in dark corners and they're nipping at me and they're feeling really big and scary. But in fact, they aren't if I put them in the light, if I bring them out. If I keep them inside, they get stronger and they get louder. 
Um, and, uh, and clearly what I came in for is not what I ended up with, other than losing the weight. Because if you ask me when I walked in the door, why are you here? I'd say, it's a, a trick question. I mean, I'm here because I want to lose weight. Why else would I be here? Um, if you're going to ask me today why I'm here, I'll tell you it's because I don't want to eat compulsively. And it's very, very different. I was losing weight uh, on white knuckle diets and still being compulsive about the food. Uh, one has nothing to do with the other. Uh, what, uh, on the other hand, if I do the deal within OA, I get a serenity. I get a release from the craving that I have never had in any other way. In fact, if anything, the cravings just get stronger if I'm not giving in to them, if I'm not feeding them. Uh, although feeding the craving usually ends up, as they say, that if you have a problem, you eat over it, then you have two problems. Uh, and that's, in fact, what the history was, because I would eat over it to soothe myself, and then I'd feel disgusted at myself for eating over myself, and the other problem somehow wasn't solved by my overeating, shocking as that may seem. Um, so what, what I came in for was that. Uh, I can, um, as one of the birthday people said, I can completely disappear when the food's in front of me. Uh, I had an experience not that long ago where I was at a, an event where there was a buffet and I got up to go to the buffet and this woman who I hadn't seen in about 10 years says, Don. And I said, oh, hi, how are you? How have you been? That was what I said. What I was thinking was, bitch, get out of the way between me and the first. <laughs> Now, it does have actually a happy ending. I ended up talking to her and the, the, I got calm about it and I forgot about the food. But I am absolutely capable if I'm in a, of going into a, a, an environment where there's food and people want to make conversation and my head is directly on the food. There was a very sweet man named Murray who unfortunately passed away from this disease. He used, at one point weighed over 600 pounds, told a story about sitting with his fiance who was turning 60 and uh, he was looking over at these two good-looking 30-year-old girls. And she said, are you thinking of trading me for two 30-year-olds? He says, no, no, I was looking at their sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> and I am very capable of doing that. I, I, I literally, it's almost like this laser beam focuses and I'm looking at the food and thinking about food. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing things that aren't even food and imagining that they're food if I'm in this kind of environment. Um, and yet, if I do the deal on a daily basis, if I take a few simple steps, uh, I can get a release from the compulsion. And a release means a real release. Um, one of the things that came out of program that I did not expect was a, a, a much deeper serenity. On the outside, I always looked pretty calm. On the outside, I looked pretty much, you know, like things were going well. But, you know, inside, I still had a lot of turmoil. Um, through working the, the program and the steps, and particularly uh, when you come to the, uh, the part where you're listing uh, your grudges and then you have to put your part in it. That was very moving for me. Uh, understanding my part in a problem has been enormously helpful in terms of letting go of anger and resentment. Uh, and it's, it's sort of um, because if I, if I realize that what, I, what the other person did is something I might well have done in their place, or it's because I did something that provoked it, it's much harder for me to get angry about it. Uh, it because I'm, ultimately I'm just getting mad at either A, them being human or doing something I would have done, and therefore I wouldn't want somebody mad at me over it, uh, or conversely, uh, something I've contributed to by doing something that if someone did to me might have provoked the same reaction. And uh, again, if I stay spiritually fit, if I stay in good shape, 
um, then I can do it. And it's not a huge amount. I mean, I read a meditation in the morning. I, I call someone and we read some of the big book. I talk to my sponsor. I talk to sponsees. I write a daily inventory with the AEIOU that if anyone's interested in, I'll be happy to tell you about. Um, but it's just the same form of going through what's going on in your life and doing it in a little more formal way. Um, if, I, if I do all those things, then I get a daily reprieve. And it is a real reprieve, as I said. It's not something I've felt anywhere else. It's, uh, it, it, it's not something that I believe, uh, you know, could have happened any other way. So um, I'm, what I'm going to do is wrap a bit early so we can take some questions. But I just want to say uh, that the, the one endorsement of this program I can say for myself is it works. Um, I, I secretly didn't think anything would work. I secretly still don't completely understand it because it's so experiential and counterintuitive. But it sort of doesn't matter if I can completely understand it. It only matters uh, if I'm able to do it on a daily basis and get some kind of a release. Um, for me, there's an enormous amount of joy here, way beyond the food. Uh, you know, I came in for the food, but I'm sticking around because I'm getting so much more out of it. It keeps me centered. It keeps me out of my head. Uh, I mean, the, the sort of core of the whole thing for me was this selfishness and this sort of self-centeredness and this, you know, everything revolves around me. And if I can stay out of that, if I can understand and respect other people, um, you know, on the outside, most of us here don't look like each other. Uh, we don't have similar stories, but on the inside, we're all the same. I mean, the, the brilliance of the program is, as I, I, I've said, um, take a person who's blind from birth and tell them what the color orange looks like can't do it. You can't do it because we have no common vocabulary. I can't talk to someone who is not a compulsive overeater and have them understand how I'm feeling. That's what's brilliant about the program. We talk to each other in a way that nobody else can. That's what Bill and Dr. Bob found out about alcoholics, is they could talk the game and gain their confidence in a relatively short period of time because they had the same experience. I can't talk to a compulsive gambler and understand. I, I don't have that. So I, w I wouldn't lose my house by gambling. Uh, but, I, but I have sympathy for them, but it's, I don't have the experience, and I couldn't talk to them the same way. But I can talk about food. And I've, I've been there, and I've seen it, and I know what it feels like, and I know how demoralizing it is, and I know how great it is to watch people recover, and how wonderful it is to watch people walk on a spiritual path and come together and do something as a group that we can't do by ourselves. Uh, another part of my selfish ego, you know, I want to take credit for everything. Um, Roy, who's in the back there, had a great thing at one of his birthday uh, candles. He said, I've got a disease that tells me I don't have a disease and an ego that wants to take credit for my recovery. <laughs> Always love that line. <laughs> so I will uh, wind up with that and take some questions and thanking you for letting me <laughs> Sure. The question was, how did my family respond to my losing weight and when I'm a weight I'm comfortable in? Uh, interestingly, very differently. Um, uh, the, um, um, uh, some of the family was uh, a little bit upset that they were losing a binge buddy, at least in the beginning, but then came to understand it was something I needed to do for myself and my health and have come to embrace it. Uh, and uh, uh, one of my sons was inspired to join the program and... He uh, came in four years after I did and still absent and still with it.
How do I bring principles of the program into my family life? The, a lot of what I was describing earlier, respect, understanding where they're coming from, uh, having a loving guidance and an open communication with them. So that, it, again, if I'm understanding what they're really saying to me and putting myself in their position, I'm much better uh, at, at being a member of the family and much better at communicating and much better at not being upset by situations that would have upset me pre-programmed. Uh, Don, could you please talk about your daily spiritual practice? Yeah, the question is the daily spiritual practice. Um, I, I read a meditation in the morning, and uh, the uh, I don't do anything formal on a daily basis. Um, so I, I, it's just more staying connected to the program, staying connected with my sponsor, uh, making sure that uh, that I stay serene. But it's not any kind of a formal practice. Yeah. Sure. The question is higher power program, higher power <laughs> before program and what it looks like now. Um, I grew up very spiritual, uh, not particularly religious, but my mother was very spiritual and was always talking about God being in present in our lives and doing things for us. So I had gotten completely away from it. And when I came back to program, I'd forgotten that that was a basis of it and was sort of a pleasantly surprising homecoming. So I had no trouble with the concept uh, and, in fact, if anything, rather embraced it and uh, and felt that it was you know, sort of a welcome back to, to a thing from my childhood that was very positive. So um, my concept of a higher power is very much like um, a flow of energy, a flow of rhythm. Uh, it's uh, like a rhythm of the universe. And uh, when I'm in tune with that rhythm and floating with it, my life is great. When I'm fighting it, when I'm swimming upstream, when I'm out of sync with it, my life is not so great. And so for me, getting in touch with a higher power is sort of flowing into this river. It's, to me, all connected with music. It's connected with just the sort of pulse and rhythm of the universe. Other questions? Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about the AEIOU thing? Sure. The AEIOU, yeah. It's uh, A is for abstinence. What did I eat? E is exercise. I, what did I do for myself? O, what did I do for others? U is an uncovering of feelings, and he, my sponsor breaks it into three parts, uh, resentments of others, resent, uh, fears, and resentments of myself. And then he adds to that a, uh, a, a Y for a Yahoo and three things I'm grateful for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, John. It's so great to hear you. Um, oh, follow up on the AIOU. Uh, like I just wondered if you write, if you, like, write that out electronically and email it to your sponsor. And then my other question was if, if, there, if you had defects of character that were removed and if there's something you still struggle with. Sure. Um, so the question is, do I write out and email the AERU? Do I call? Uh, the answer is I call. Uh, and if I don't get him, I leave it on his uh, voicemail. Uh, and the other question was, uh, what defects of character removed and what do I still have? Well, I certainly have defects of character. Um, the, you know, this is a, a continuation of process. Uh, you know, I can still get self-centered. I can still um, get the cravings that I, uh, you know, I can still... Um, mostly probably around self-centeredness and selfishness as opposed to thinking about myself ahead of others. Um, but the things that were removed had to do really with a lot of anger and resentment um, that, that, that were around things. You know, I had a pretty long fourth step. Uh, but when I looked at my part in it, that to me was very profound. That 
uh, released a lot of it. So uh, that deep a char- a character, I think, is in reasonably good shape. I, I don't get angry much anymore, which is sort of weird. But <laughs> I can get there if I have to. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what your absence and food plan are. Sure. Uh, what are my absence and food plan? My absence is three meals a day and occasional stack. That's the bottom line. Uh, my food plan is all foods in moderation, um, and I make healthy choices about 92.3% of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was wondering what your boundaries are like with your sponsor, and if you could talk about that. Sure, but I, I'm not quite sure I understand what you mean by boundaries. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you think I mean. Uh, okay. Okay. Question relationship with my sponsor. Uh, my relationship with my sponsor is I have to be willing to tell him anything that's going on, even though I don't particularly want to. Uh, you know, when I got through the fourth step, he knew more about my life than anybody else because he's the only one who heard it all in one place like that, um, other than my wife who knows pretty much everything. Uh, and so uh, I don't have boundaries in the sense of what I won't talk to him about. Uh, and if I ask him something he, that is outside of his field, he's very good about saying I don't have that experience because we're supposed to share our experience, strength, and hope. So, uh, you know, I don't give advice. When I'm sponsoring people, I don't give advice. I just say, look, this is my experience. Uh, you might want to consider this. I've heard other people say this and, uh, and, and do it on that basis. Yeah. When you talked about your food flipping um, after the first year and you, like, Okay, so the question was when uh, the food got sloppy, uh, what did I do? This will be the last one. Uh, what did I do to get it back? It was all about intensifying the program, going to more meetings, talking to people, um, you know, just stepping up my program. Because the answer wasn't in trying to manhandle the food, the answer was in getting more spiritually clean and fit. Um, and I'll, I, in fact, I, I usually mention this when I share it. This gives me an opportunity. I had a sponsee with a gift for analogy who once said, I can't stay clean today on yesterday's shower. It doesn't matter how many years of absence I have. If anything, it gets me cocky and I think, hey, I got this now. Um, it's only what I did in the last 24 hours and what, only what I do in the next 24 hours. And I'm sorry, I forgot the second part. The second one is how, how you tolerate um, having what do you do instead? Right. Well, I express them uh, as opposed to keeping them inside because they get dangerous when they're inside. And now I have a few seconds that I never had between the impulse and the action. It used to be I would have an impulse of I should eat this, and I'm saying it's not a very good idea as it's going into my mouth. <laughs> now I have a couple of seconds to know it's not a good idea, and I can do something. I can talk to someone. I can call something, take a breath. I can, if, if something's triggering me, then that happens with a specific food. I'll go in the other room. Um, I, I call my sponsor or just just change, break, break, break the, the, the cycle that's heading me down into that direction. All right. So thank you for letting me share.